Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. Walls in our college bar were rough on the eyes, but smooth to the touch, years of history hidden by new coats of paint. Eve smiled when she saw me, carefully painted red lips framing perfect orthodontic white teeth, and gestured that I should join her. Alcohol has robbed me of much of the conversations and introductions that followed, but of course, I remember meeting Alex. I was struck by her voice, so rich, even velvety, like Bailey's or Merlot. There was something so mesmeric about the way she spoke. I was drawn to her subtle Australian cadence, her delicate, almost musical consonants. There in our college bar, I drunkenly studied her, barely their eyebrows, dark hair in a constant state of flux as she absentmindedly put it up and took it down during conversation, three perfect freckles in a line along her arm, eyes the colour the sky should be, the Australian sky I knew, not this foreign English white. I acknowledged and dismissed that this was an odd thought to have about a stranger or a new friend. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Indiana Schneider grew up in Sydney before moving to the UK to study music at Oxford and then on to Vienna to sing opera professionally. She admits to being the author of one and a half novels, one opera libretto and many unrequited love letters. Today I'm talking to Indiana Schneider about her debut novel, 28 Questions. Indiana, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. First things first, congratulations on your first novel. Thank you very much. When I first started reading 28 Questions, I couldn't decide if I was reading a novel, a play, an opera libretto, a diary, or something entirely different. Which description works for you? Ooh, I think, so I think it's a novel. (laughs) Um, But I also, I like that you picked up on these things because I think I just really wanted to put a reader inside Amalia's head. And I think the way that she would tell her story is kind of this mixture of all of the different mediums you described. There is, I think she's a very dramatic person and that's, you know, a fun, a fun voice to inhabit, but also like it does impact the way that she views conversation perhaps as a play medium or the fact that she's a musician. So many musical excerpts are sort of interspersed with her thoughts and it kind of felt right. And it's so great that I can include all of these things. I didn't even know you could include sheet music inside a novel. So yeah, I think it's a, a mixture of all of these things under the umbrella title of novel. Yeah. The inclusion of little musical excerpts and various chords, including the Tristan chord, which is going to send a whole lot of musicologists into a spin, but <laughs> you use the word she, but every listener will want me to ask is 28 questions autobiographical. The short answer is no. Um, I don't know if I'm sorry to say or I'm I'm pleased to say. uh, However, there are so many settings and feelings that are familiar in the novel. And I think I sort of wrote this novel in a kind of frenzy after heartbreak and after having finished university and these three like very pivotal years of your life um, are ending and they already felt like they were sort of slipping away from me. So I really wanted to capture like that feeling of first intense love and heartbreak and that feeling of like real sexuality confusion or the sort of pressure of academia. And those are all things that I like have either experienced or friends of mine have experienced or like I've read enough about that I really wanted to include. So whilst it's not autobiographical, a lot of the feelings and settings are very, very real. So drawn from real experience, you might say. Exactly. 
this is a very personal, a very intimate book, and it uses a very personal, let's call it epistolary form or something resembling that. Uh, was the form that this book takes a natural choice for telling the story? It reads, I think, I hope very naturally, um, but it wasn't the sort of first thought I had in terms of the structure. So the book's called 28 Questions, and I don't know if... Um, if this made it to Australia, actually, but there was a study in the New York Times with the 36 questions to fall in love. That was like all the rage in my early 20s. And the idea is, is that you answer a series of increasingly intimate questions with a stranger and then you fall in love with them. I don't know if you live happily and ever after, but I wanted to include something like this in the world of the characters. So sort of the 28 questions came about because my book kind of fell neatly into 28 sections after I'd written it. And then it was quite easy actually to find a question within each section that one of the two protagonists asked the other. And that became the title of that chapter. And then the sort of structure of the novel in that way kind of wrote itself, um, so to speak. Funnily enough, I've tracked down that very article and I'm going to pose a few of those questions to you a little bit later. So that oh, could wow, be interesting. Okay. <laughs> and okay. I've thrown in, thrown in a few others as well. But okay, great. You've lived and studied and you set 28 questions in Oxford. What kind of freedoms or restrictions did Oxford or the atmosphere in Oxford lend this book or, or allow you to pursue? I think everybody who's gone to university has a very strange relationship with university and that it kind of provides so many of the highest highs and so many of the lowest lows. And I think the fact that that is quite a like, um, like both colourful and kind of tainted relationship kind of allows you to be very honest. <laughs> it's not like it was this perfect experience. So I want to do the university proud by writing this book that really puts it on a pedestal. You know, it was not always an easy experience. And a lot of people um, at Oxford at university in general at that age really struggle with mental health and whether or not there's like support around that is a, is a different thing as well. And I actually met up with a friend last night who was in the year above me at university. And we both kind of had a moment and um, she very sweetly bought my book and it was obviously been re- like reliving, re-experiencing re some of the that atmosphere. And yeah, it's a very strange time. I guess there are so many varied experiences that students have at university, but within each of these variations, there are, I think, some like key themes that stand out. And so I kind of wanted to write a story that was like a very unique experience of like Amalia's journey through Oxford and so on, but also kind of like rang true with those those, those university themes that I think are like pretty universal. So this story revolves around this relationship or it starts as a friendship between Amalia and Alex. So I'd like you to maybe just give me a little bit of background to that story. Takes through where this idea of this friendship, which blossoms into romance and then mm. fades between Amalia and Alex. So I knew I wanted to write a book that was um, a romance. I knew I wanted to write a book that was a queer romance. And I knew I wanted to explore the sort of I guess the contracts that we write with people in friendship and the contracts that we write with people, I mean, we don't explicitly write them. Maybe life would be a lot easier and less exciting if we did. But the contracts that we write with romantic partners and how these like change when one sort of relationship shifts into another, so from friendship to romance, if that, back again, if that's the sort of route that you choose and the sort of problems that lie within. And then also this idea of there's, we have one word for love, which encompasses so many different meanings. And like A, as a young person, but just as like a person sort of trying to distinguish the different kinds of love you feel for somebody, whether they're friendly or romantic or sexual. And I think especially as like a young queer person, those lines are so, so difficult to find. So I knew that that was kind of the story that I wanted to tell. And then it was sort of a case of 
some like biographical you know bullet points like I wanted them both to be Australian because I wanted them to have this like beautiful home thing in common I wanted them to have an age difference because like there's an interesting power dynamic that you can explore in a not very like visceral but kind of like nuanced way um, especially at university when those those that like a two-year age difference you know could be could be 20 years and then it sort of happened on the page I sort of wanted them to agree and disagree on certain like philosophical or political things which you know adds like a bit of texture into their relationship and allows them to have conversations that are varied and, and rich and yeah and then I sort of wanted their their identities to kind of change in a subtle way over the four years of the novel and to, to be morphed by one another. And I think that that's so common in friendship at that age. And I guess so beautiful and also so heartbreaking that you sort of give yourself over to somebody and, and allow them to, to mold certain parts of you. So that was kind of the idea behind Alex and Amalia. And then, yeah, then just like a lot of writing and a lot of drafting and redrafting. I think a lot of people might call 28 Questions a coming of age story, but that doesn't seem anywhere near adequate as a description of this book. How would you like it to be received? I think a coming of age story definitely encompasses a part of the novel. You know, you follow like an 18 year old through to a 22 year old and there's so much sort of growing up that happens in that time. And I guess it is also um, a romantic novel um, or a love story or a complicated love story. Um, I think that's definitely the kind of book I like to read or one of the kinds of books I like to read is sort of complicated love. And yeah, maybe a story about like identity, queerness, friendship, heartbreak and figuring it all out or something that sort of encompasses those those feelings. As I said earlier, I've got some questions for you and they're drawn from the research paper that you might have referred to by Arthur Aaron and others with the perfectly academic title, The Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness, A Procedure and Preliminary Findings. Sound familiar? Academia is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I've thrown in a few of your own for good measure. Oh God, okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, maybe. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? I think probably teleportation. Um, initially, my thought was the ability to speak any language because I have spent so long trying to study languages as an opera singer in my, in my night times, I guess. But no, I think having family all over the world, uh, teleportation would be super nice. <laughs> Good answer. Very convenient. If a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? I think, oh, either. No, I think I'd want to know nothing. I don't think I can. I could handle like the responsibility of knowing the future of anything. And I think I'm very witches of Macbeth in my thinking. I think that what I see will definitely influence me, and I'll always like wonder what would have happened if I hadn't looked at the ball. So I think I would not. So go with whatever comes. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I might regret that when something awful happens and I think I could have maybe like prevented it by seeing it. But this is, this is like, you can't answer that question by being like, I want to see something that I can prevent, you know, like I think. Well, whatever you say, you might regret it later anyway. Here's one of yours. Number one of yours, what brings you pleasure? Pleasure. Ooh, I think like coffee in the mornings, like coffee and like reading the news or coffee and calling my parents, which is sort of the two things that I do in the mornings is a sort of sense, a source of everyday pleasure. And uh, music, of course, lame answer, but got to include it. And 
I guess getting into like a flow state, spending time with friends or family. I think that sort of like, oh my gosh, has it really been three hours? Um, just really yeah, fills my heart. Here's number five of yours. What song means a great deal to you? And could you even narrow it down to one song? So I think this is a very emotional answer. Uh, it would probably be the song Grandma's Hands by Bill Withers, uh, which is a song I used to listen to my dad in the car. And it always made me think of his mum, who's sadly not with us anymore. And yeah, it sort of, for me, encapsulates a lot of feeling of like trying to understand like grief and family as a child. And then also just like really fun car journeys, um, blasting music. Um, <laughs> that song means a great deal to me, but I definitely can't narrow down to like a favourite song or like, I wouldn't be able to do Desert Island Discs, I think. That leads me to throw in this question. Do you have any insights on how or why music attaches itself to love and relationships? And can it ever be detached? Maybe not detached, maybe like overrided enough that you kind of like, like, you know, kind of an experience of a place as well. Um, sorry. So I think a lot of people use music as a way to signpost their life. And I think we all have like really good like memories for for sound and i think music kind of asks you to attach emotion to it i think if you're like listening in a semi active way you're also aware of like where you're at in your life where you are like in a physical sense who you're with and i think we kind of like music's sticky we can't help but like attach these things onto music so like whether it's the song you sort of dance to at your wedding or a song that's playing in the background when you have like an awful fight with a friend or something like that, we do just tend to add the music to that memory. And just like smell, I think hearing and music is such a sort of triggering um, sense, if you like. And in terms of detaching, yeah, you know, it's kind of, I, I think I say this in, in the book or I, I wrote this um, at some point, maybe in a journal, um, but there's this idea of, of being careful actually with, how you listen to music or in what context, because you can ruin music um, by associating I mean, beautiful music or music that you really love by associating it with really sad or dramatic or um, yeah, like painful things. That said, I do think it's possible to, you know, find a love for music in a way that's either like nostalgic of that pain, which is like a really beautiful and difficult place to be, or in a way have that music going with lots of other happier memories. And then it becomes more of this sort of collage of, of, of emotion and memory mapped onto the music rather than a specific difficult event. 28 Questions comes with its own playlist. It's uh, If you get your QR scanner out, you'll be able to track it down. It's quite an eclectic mix. What might a lover or a music lover find there and what would they find out about you in the process? Oh, I don't know if they'd find out much about me, actually, because I, I, some of the music on that was was researched to to fit these characters and the places that they were at in their lives. But they would definitely find out some stuff about the, the characters in the book. I think um, Amalia and Alex actually have a conversation semi-early into the book about, yeah, I, I, answering this question you asked me earlier, what song means a great deal to you? Um, and sort of have that music on in the background. And I think it's one of the first instances where you can kind of see that they like maybe are like very different at the way in the way that they think about emotion. So Alex listens to quite minimalist kind of trans trans inducing music. And Amalia listens to like very cheesy, dramatic, very rich, hearty music. And I think it does say a lot about a person. I think the kinds of music that they, that they like, and maybe a lot about compatibility. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's not fair. Maybe you can have different music tastes to your partner, but I, I did want to root the book in reality. You know, it's set in a real place. Um, I'm aware that I share um, autobiographical details with the 
with the protagonist I didn't sort of want to shy away from that and I guess including music that is so real and that you can sort of listen to on Spotify at this link kind of I guess creates an atmosphere that that feels really real and that's sort of what I wanted to do that's kind of why I wanted this play that we created to have no interval like I really want you to live with the characters and that involves being involved in their like soundscape. Indiana it's been a great pleasure talking to you good luck with your with your varied career in all its forms and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. I've been talking to Indiana Schneider about her new book 28 Questions. It's published by Scribner and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.